There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Hunting Collective in a brand new year. We made it to 2021 and we also made it to episode 160. I'm feeling pretty good. Phil, the engineer, how you feeling, buddy? I feel great. There's yeah. a there's, there's a sunlight streaming through my window right now. It, it, it's cold outside. It's one of those winter mornings that just feel refreshing. Yes, I am refreshed. I feel refreshed. Uh, it's a new year. It's a new THC. Uh, same old me and you. Same old me and you. But we got. We're going to do a lot this year. We're going to do a lot of new things. We're going to. We're going to keep a lot of old things around that we like. Um, but I'm feeling renewed, despite the fact that uh, the political climate's not been great. Phil, are you? Do you want to talk about how you're feeling? Do you want to just skip over that? Uh, if anyone's been listening to the podcast for the last year i'm sure knows what i feel about it i'm not going to offer any insight so no insight <laughs> phil has no insight to the current political climate in the united states uh i i don't really have much either other than to say man it's it's super depressing and um hopefully we this little show right here can be a place to dive into hunting and learning about all that stuff um we're gonna focus we're gonna focus in 2021 on lots of things but as I was thinking about what this year could bring for us, I was thinking about how important it is to have new hunters come along. A lot of the folks that listen to this show are either brand new hunters or uh, adult onset hunter, which you guys could all help me rename that term because uh, it sounds awful. It sounds like you have the onset of some sort of disease uh, that we're going to need to take you to the hospital for, but that's not what it is. So maybe the first task in 2021 for the THC cult is to figure out what do we call adult onset hunters? And to define that, that is a hunter who has taken up the pursuit later in life. 
So it could be late 20s, could be late. I would say after the age of 25, if you take up hunting completely cold turkey, as Phil will do soon this year, then you are an adult onset hunter in the current parlance, the current terminology. Uh, Phil, do you have any suggestions of what we might rename that to be? Because adult onset hunter is not, not cutting it. Yeah, I, I agree. It is a terrible term. I, I don't have any any ideas right now. I, I liked that you used the term cold turkey, though. I mean, that's just fitting. Yes, it is. We will be making turkeys cold. Yes, we will. Am I right? Yes, we will. High five. Many, yep, nope, not yet. No, you got to do better <laughs> okay. than that. It's 2021. You got to do better than that. Oh, okay. no. Nope, no dad jokes allowed uh, on THC in 2021. Well, I really am serious about, as I thought about what 2021 could be, would be for us, um, I want to really focus on things that are new, new hunters. And obviously, Phil, you will be the test case for that along the way. But there's so much that we can talk about, so much we can learn in regards to how we teach people, how we bring people in to what we do. So if you're out there listening and you've hunted your whole life and you love this show, you're going to find ways to teach new people and bring new people in. And if you're out there and you've either never hunted or like many of you went hunting a few times, haven't had success, um, you're going to find some tidbits of information along the way in 2021 on this show. And so we're going to keep the door swinging both ways. We, if, you, if you hunted your whole life, you really should be looking at 2021 as a way to bring in someone new to what we do. Bring them in, show them what, why we love hunting, show them why we love conservation, show them the books we read, show them the shows we watch, all the podcasts we listen to to get us excited. Bring them in and show them how this thing enriches our lives. If, you, if you've never hunted, get in there and make it a goal to bring someone along with you or make it a goal to get to a point where you're comfortable to do that. Um, if 2021 is going to be anything for all of us and we can forget the division in our country for once in our lives, it could be about growing the thing that we obviously all love so much because we're here talking about it on this show. So Phil, you will be our mascot. You will be our shining light as you always are. Um, what do you feel about this idea of, of 2021 as the year of, of newness, the new hunter? I like it. I like the direction. I uh, I don't like the idea of me being the mascot or the face of this movement. Um, it just seems like a lot of pressure. Like I'm no I'm no Count Chocula or Gritty. <laughs> I like that's how you. I like that's who you go to. <laughs> I don't mind that though. That's not a bad thing. Okay. Uh, the face of a hunt. The face of hunting. That's what you're going to be if we if if I have my druthers. That's what Ooh, you're going to be. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all the hunters out there. No. Well, listen, we certainly are. We're going we're gonna to really try to, as we get through this year, um, teach Phil and give him the lessons that we think he needs to get along in this pursuit. And hopefully through that, he can be a proxy for all of you to do some learning and to teach other people. Um, a huge part of this show, we're still going to have our silly conversations, our jokes, our segments, not so sharp moments and, and things of that nature. Um, but I think we're going to kick off the year with a really good guest. His name, none of you know, a lot of you won't know who he is, but he's known me for a long time. Uh, as he will say, he's known me since I was but a young, uh, fresh faced, non bearded hunter in the industry. His name is Armando Vendatozzi. He is a hunting guide out of Montreal, and he's one of my favorite people. He's going to be one of your favorite people. He's as Italian as they get. He loves hunting as much as anyone, and he's got a lot of stories to tell for you guys on this episode. A couple of things. One, 
uh, the caribou herds in northern Quebec and the Cujuac and other places. Kind of the, the decline, he was, he was a guide for Safari Nordique and the years of the decline of those two herds that are now not being hunted. Uh, hunting seasons were revoked, removed in that part of Quebec. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, but more importantly, he has something pretty serious in nature to share. And that, that is, um, he was witness to and a party to uh, a death, a accidental shooting and a death in a duck blind up near his home in Quebec. And so that's a tough one. It's a tragedy. Uh, it's something that is hard for him to talk about, hard to listen to. Um, it was even awkward at times for me to listen to because it's just uh, it, you feel so horrible for uh, the family of the man that was killed and um, the man himself. But it's something we can all learn from. And as, as we think about teaching new hunters, we could take this story in and then think about gun safety across the board, especially in terms of turkey hunting, duck hunting, upland hunting, where you're often in, in closed quarters with a bunch of people and those people have guns. So I just want to say all love to Armando for coming on and having the strength to tell the story. You're going to hear it coming up pretty soon. Uh, but Phil, I want to, in the spirit of learning from this tragedy we're going to hear, hear about here in a little bit, I want to go over a couple of things. If you're going to learn to hunt, Phil, what is your, first tell the audience, what is your experience with shotguns? I feel like we've touched on this before. Like, what is the, like, what have you done? How comfortable, one to ten, we'll get back to the number ranking system for our friend Eric Hall. How comfortable with a shotgun are you, one to ten? Uh, one. One. Have you pulled the trigger on the shotgun before? Have you felt the recoil? Do you understand? Nope. Uh, I have never done this. No, nothing like that. I have never fired a shotgun. All right. Are you uh, apprehensive about it? Do you feel like you can handle it? You know, there is, depending, especially the turkey load, there's quite a lot of felt recoil depending on what we're we're shooting. I feel fine. Uh, Yeah, I feel feel confident. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse here. But I, uh, I, I feel confident in, in, in my abilities to uh, learn. Good. Good. I've, I'm glad you're confident. I think that one of the things in teaching new hunters is, is do exactly what we just did with Phil here as he is our mascot. You, te- you want to test out their confidence level because um, there's varying degrees of confidence in the many disciplines within hunting, right? You may be confident with a firearm but not confident with the game. You may be confident uh, with calling but not with a firearm. I mean, there's a many things – that someone might understand or might not understand. Um, you know, the, it goes, it's, it's as easy as how to shoot a shotgun and maybe as deep as, as death and understanding death uh, this, in the systems of the natural world. So there's a lot you can touch on. We will, we will touch on those. But Phil, if you're down for it, man, you tell me if you're down for it. I figure we would go over the gun safety rules that I learned as a kid uh, from the National Rifle Association. You, you want to go over those? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, you're excited. Um, a couple of things, man. Like when we start looking at this, there are the three fundamental rules. There are three things that you always need to know. And then there are a bunch of other things that really, as a gun owner, you should start to develop over time. But the first three rules are things that will keep everybody safe if you do this. Uh, and it, it really starts with that personal responsibility of being the one who controls the firearm. You take, when you put that shotgun, in this case, in your hand, you are responsible for what goes on with that weapon. 
because it is a weapon, it is dangerous, and we do intend to kill an animal with it. So we don't want to mince words where that's concerned. The first one, Phil, is always keep the gun pointed in the safe direction. You know, this is the primary rule of gun safety. Of course, common sense might dictate what's the safest direction, but it depends on the circumstances. Uh, certainly, I've seen some what we call in the industry uh, ADs or accidental discharges. I see, I saw one on a turkey hunt uh, down in Texas one year where uh, a veteran turkey hunter was getting, it was dark out. I had a group of guys, I was kind of guiding them, telling them where they needed to go on this ranch to find turkeys. This guy steps out of the truck, picks up his shotgun, puts his finger on the trigger in the dark, and pulls it, and he has an AD. Of course, luckily for us, uh, the shot went off straight up into the air. So this is the fundamental rule of gun safety. If the gun is pointed in a safe direction and the worst thing happens, at least it's going to happen into a safe place or a safe direction. And that is... You know, as scary as it is to have a gun go off when you didn't mean it to, if it goes off into the air or into the ground and everyone is safe, at least you have a chance to learn from it. Uh, and that that is as important as anything. When you're teaching somebody to hunt or you're learning to hunt and there's a gun involved, you know, in Phil's case, a turkey gun. Um, questions there, Phil? That's pretty. This is all pretty common sense stuff, eh? Yeah, and it's it's stuff that I feel like I'm I'm anal about, like when it's not doesn't involve guns. Just I I feel like I would be I I'll probably be annoying about it. I'll probably be asking a lot of questions yeah. like, oh, is this good? Is this good? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, that sounds that sounds very good. I will be extra cautious with. Yeah, do you do you see yourself taking the control of that and and being the one to say like. Is this safe? Is this safe? Is this safe? Because there's some people, when you get into like the social pressures of being in a hunting camp with a bunch of people that have done it their whole lives, you want to seem like you know what you're doing as fast as possible, even if you're a new guy. And so I've seen a lot of people come into it with kind of a cavalier attitude after a short time of learning and leave this, this idea that they have to be the one with the personal responsibility to be safe off to the side once they feel like they're part of the club and they, they've learned the basics. I don't really have a uh, concern about my own uh, choices or decisions, but the thought of being with a group of other people who all have guns, that just, just the thought of that, I, I, this probably sounds completely insane and silly to lifelong hunters, but to me, it's, it's just, it, it makes me nervous. It gives me, yeah. gives me the heebie jeebies. Yeah. I mean, it is, we're going to hear a story from my good friend Armando coming up where someone lost their life um, because these rules weren't followed. It was an accident. But that you know you don't get to take that back. So that's that's a big one. If you can always keep that gun pointed in a safe direction, that's that's a philosophy that will always do you well. Uh, here's here's the next one. Always keep and we say always like capital letters always. Always keep your finger off the trigger until you are ready to shoot. You know when you're holding a gun, you rest your finger like near the trigger guard alongside the frame. Do not rest your finger on the trigger or the trigger guard anywhere near it until you are ready to touch off uh, a shell or a round in that gun. Um, if, if it's pointed in a safe direction and your finger's never on the trigger until you you know exactly where you're going to send that payload of, of BBs in this case or of shot at that turkey, uh, you're never going to have a problem with your trigger control. But trigger control being something not only for the performance, for your shooting performance, being able to hit what you're aiming at, 
but knowing where to place your trigger finger on the shotgun when you're holding it, when you're carrying it in the woods to make sure there's never a chance where that finger is going to find its way to the trigger when it shouldn't. Um, and this, this, is, this goes across the board, not only when you're getting it out of the case, when you're loading it in the case, when you are carrying it in the field, when it's slung over your shoulder, when you're shouldering it to get ready to shoot at an animal. These are the types of things um, that you have to be thinking about. And not only when you know you're going to let a round go, but when you're doing the, the day-to-day things, the normal things that you will do. And if you're on a seven-day turkey hunt on day five, you will have that shotgun slung over your shoulder for a long period of time each day. So this is when, those, the, when people get lax, when those accidents happen. Uh, in my mind, these are the times when you can really hone um, how responsible you are and how cognizant you are of what you're doing with a firearm. Uh, make sense, Phil? Got it. Got it? All right, I like that. Um, always keep the gun unloaded until you're ready to use it. Now, this there's a lot that goes into this. There's a lot to, to knowing when. How do I know when a gun is unloaded? Um, how do I know when to load the gun? Um, how do I be ready should a turkey come rolling around the corner? but also be safe. Um, Keeping the action open on a firearm, especially a shotgun, it's harder to do with a bolt-action rifle. Shotgun, it's not so, you know, a a semi-auto shotgun like you'll be using on this hunt, a Weatherby, 18i. It's not so hard to do. You lock the action open so you can look down inside the chamber and inspect the chamber. And you can see whether or not a shell is present. And that is the safest way. Now, all you have to do is let that action down, and that'll automatically, especially in an autoloader, put a shell in the chamber so you're ready to roll. Now, there's a bunch of reasons why you do it and don't do it, but in this case, locking that action back is the way that you can physically look and inspect that at any time. If the action is closed and it is in battery, you will not be able to see whether or not there is a shell in the chamber ready to roll. So this is this is where it gets to the more practical application. Is that you have to know your weapon, you have to know how it works, and you have to tell yourself there's in this case, especially with a shotgun, there's one way you can tell physically that it's safe, and another way you don't really know. Um, you, you would assume, you can assume, but that action open is the thing that will keep keep you safe when you're crawling around in the timber looking for a turkey. Um, questions, Phil? This one, I feel like this one, you should have some questions. Yeah, well, th- this one's a little bit more, this one's tougher because I feel like I need a more practical, yeah. like, uh, hands-on experience with with the gun to kind of get this one fully because, like, in theory, I understand it. Like, I know what an action yeah. is, a chamber, magazine, yada, yada. But, like, actually, you know, interacting with these things myself, I think, will provide a lot more understanding. Yeah. Yeah, there's like you said, there's a lot of different types of even shotguns. I mean, we could be using a, a side by side, an over under, uh, an auto loader. In this case, uh, there's a lot of things we could be doing. There's a lot of ways to keep those different action types safe. And so and we get into bolt action, then we get into uh, some outer rifle. You get into lever action, you know, single shot. Uh, there's a ton of things you can get into when you're thinking about firearms. Um, 
And so, yeah, man, I, I think I imagine at some point we'll take a trip to the range here in the very near future and we'll record it for everybody so they can hear you kind of going through the practical application of this. But again, those three rules, always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction, always keep your finger off the trigger until ready to shoot and always keep the gun unloaded until ready to use are, that is the Bible for gun handling. Those are the things that you cannot do wrong. Um, and if you do all those things, even if you have an accidental discharge, even if something happens that you're not expecting, if the gun malfunctions in a way that you can't control, we won't have a tragedy or an injury or anything we don't want. Um, only a learning experience if, if we do these things correctly. What else, Phil? What, like, any other apprehensions? I mean, there's some other things that we can talk about and we'll talk about about gun safety, but those are the three things we, that you got to have down before we do anything. Uh, I, I don't have anything now because, I mean, it was sort of the same thing when I was taking my hunter safety and it was getting into all the, the nitty gritty of the actual like mechanical applications yeah. and, and, and stuff. I, I, I think I, at this point, I just need to, I just need to actually try it. I need, yeah. I need to, I need to you know, hold a gun in my hand and load it and fire it and, and, and follow all the, all the safety measures. And I think then I'll, I'll have more practical questions, but right, right now Good. I think I'm pretty much as, as far as I can get. Good. Well, I, that's what I look forward to, man. And there's other things that we'll talk about when we get out there, like know your target and what's beyond it. You got to be absolutely sure you know what is beyond your target. And if, it is, if there's something that is possibly unsafe, you do not let that that round or, or shell fly. Um, it's not a shell. You do not pull the trigger is probably a better, more accurate way to say that. You know, think first, shoot second is is a big part of that. You think about the scenarios of what's going to happen when you pull the trigger. Um, and once you're comfortable, then you shoot, you know, and of course, knowing how to use the gun safely, using the correct ammunition, understanding the types of ammunition, certainly understanding when you should be wearing eye and ear protection. Uh, cause we often wear it at the range, but not in the field, uh, be, you know, and, and understand the operation of the gun and stuff we'll learn next time we're out at the range and other times. Uh, also how to store a gun, how to clean a gun, what to do with it. I mean, you have kids, um, you don't have, you have any guns in the house right now, Phil? Nope. No guns. Um, so now you're going to have, when I get you a gun, you're going to have a gun in the house. And so you're going to have to learn, um, and think through with your, probably with your wife, what's this going to mean? It might mean you're uncomfortable with having one in the house in the short term and it has to stay in my gun safe, or, um, there's a way that you feel comfortable having it there. Um, so there's, there's things when you're, when we're, we're going through this with you, if you're out there, if you're teaching someone and this is the fir- their first time, much like Phil, something to think about, um, and go over. So we've got a lot of emails from a lot of new hunters here and every, there's a lot of people that are in Phil's situation. And one of them is Dom G, Dominique Guiletti. He said, I just passed the hunter safety course and purchased a license for the year. My uncle is a lifelong hunter, and we are planning on some deer and elk hunts out here in Oregon this coming fall. Before that time comes, my plan is to go out shooting as much as I can, as well as longer hikes and backpacking trips to help train my body. I guess my question is, would you recommend starting with smaller game first or just wait to jump into these bigger hunts we have planned? I'm looking forward to learning, spending time with my uncle, getting to know more remote corners of my state. And he wants to also know like what an elk smells like. He's looking forward to smelling an elk. Uh, unfortunately, Phil, turkeys don't have a particular smell that I'm aware of. So, but a, an elk sure does. An elk, I would describe an elk's smell as like a musky, 
I'm not even sure how to really describe it. It's a, it's a really musky scent that turns your head as soon as you run into it in timber in the woods. Um, in terms of the question, Dom G, about bigger hunts, what should you be doing? I think a lot of it in terms of this learning to hunt is what are you what are you comfortable with? Like we talked about at the beginning of this. What are you comfortable with? Are you comfortable with uh, a single tag and the pressure that comes with you know, the kind of the singular opportunity to kill an elk. Um, you only have, say, you only have one tag for the, for the season. Um, or do you want to get more time behind a rifle, a shotgun, in the, in the squirrel woods or chasing rabbits? Um, that'll give you a, a better understanding of killing an animal, taking the meat. It, it's, it's more fun. Uh, certainly the opportunities are more plentiful. So if you're looking for that, man, if you're looking to just get outside and experience what it's like to be out there and be be killing animals um, and taking their meat and eating it, certainly I would say um, that's the exploration for you. But if you're okay with, you know, a big game hunt, which is exactly that, it's big, man. It's it's every time you pull the rifle up, it's it's a singular opportunity to fill your your, your probably your one tag, I would think, in that case. So that's a decision you have to make. Certainly less pressure on a squirrel hunt. So if you're looking for a, a, a more of a less pressure-filled situation, I'd go there. Uh, but it depends on your mindset. Phil, do you feel like turkey hunting is is any pre? You feel any pressure about you know having a single turkey tag? Would you rather? Well, we talked about ducks before. We talked about rabbits. We talked about all kinds of stuff in the past. Any any opinion there? Or are you just waiting for me to shut up so you can go hunting? <laughs> Uh, no, no, definitely not, not the latter, at least not too much. Um, I, I, I just, it's just, it's tough until I actually like, like just from standing from a distance and looking in, I'd say that like turkey hunting looks like a lot of fun. I think duck hunting looks like a lot of fun. Um, the more stories I hear about big game hunting, I feel like I, I would like to work up to it. And it's something that honestly, from the outset doesn't like appeal to me maybe it will down the road but like you know obviously i'll try it but just for start starting out i think i think turkey turkey and duck hunting like just just look fun it 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 looks like a like a low stress good time if you want it to be um it's so good yeah i can't oh man i hope you love Turkey. You still have my uh, Colonel Tom Kelly. It's still tenth legion it's copy. Still on my nightstand, Ben. Okay, I'm not asking you for any other reason that I was putting together the new THC studio in my house, and I was yeah. like, I, it wasn't here. And uh, I've got it. I panicked. I panicked. So get get to reading the tenth legion if you haven't already cracked it open. Crack it open. Um, and I can't tell you, man, how this is. I mean, I have sons, and I will take them hunting for the first time sometime soon. But until that time comes, Phil, you are I am your father. I'm your I'm your big thirty year old boy. <laughs> yeah, I am your father, if you know what I mean. I gotcha. This little Star Wars reference. You're feeling it. You're feeling it. Yeah. All right. Well, I will appreciate you uh listen listening to this. And again, when you hear the story from Armando, my good friend Armando coming up, uh, there are ways to prevent this tragedy that we're gonna hear hear about. And there are ways to learn from it. It's, it's, I weighed in my own mind, is this something worthy of a podcast? Somebody died, you know, is this respectful to the, the person and their family who we do not know? It's not somebody I've ever met or, or, uh, and I don't know them. But again, if, if this person's death can mean anything to us, 
and all the people that have, have perished in hunting accidents can, can mean anything to us. It's to help us learn and to be aware of what's happening, uh, what's happening with other people, what's happening with ourselves. Uh, I really do think awareness and understanding that these uh, gun safety rules, these NRA gun safety rules are not, you know, they're not only when you're new. There every single day you go field with a firearm. So hopefully that this is something everyone can take from this. We're gonna have a lot of fun with Armando. He's one of my favorite people. A lot of laughs, but there t- toward the end we're gonna get serious. We're gonna talk about something that's very important to me and should be very important to all of you as we get into the new year. Everybody set a goal. I know I've had you guys do silly shit like draw pictures of Phil's voice face and make poems and sing songs. We're still gonna do all that. I promise. But if you all want to do something for me and for Phil this year, pledge to take someone out and teach them what we do or pledge to yourself to learn enough this year to be to find a way to give yourself the knowledge base required to take someone out. If we all do that, it will have been a good year. The number of people that listen to this podcast all take out a new hunter in 2021, it will have been a good year for hunting. And we will be growing this thing in the right way. So now, my good friend, hunting guide, wonderful. I think he might be in the mafia. There's no way to know. His name is Armando Venditosi. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from planning your next one just got a whole lot easier download the fishing booker app on the google play or app store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. 
Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. Armando, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing well, thank you. And yourself, Ben? Oh, I'm doing just fine, just fine. It's a new year, a lot to talk about, but uh, it's been long overdue to have you on this here podcast, so thanks for doing it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, you have some. You have the distinct uh, opportunity to tell some stories from the good old days that not a lot of people that come <laughs> on this show have, so a distinct opportunity to tell some old stories about how I used to be pre-beard, young, pubescent, early days. Uh, do you, you want to re- reveal anything about my character, you know, to pre 2010, the, the Rob Bob days, the Rob Bob days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You tell uh, the people what it was like to know me when I just had a, a goatee and I was yelling, but a pup. Yeah. Um, so I had the pleasure of, um, of hosting Rob Bob up on a bear hunt in Oh nine. And we decided to do it again in 2010. And he's like, you know, I know this good kid. He works at the NRA. He's new in the business. You know, maybe we, uh, we get him up and uh, give him a shot. And I'm like, you know what? What the hell? Someone gave me a shot. Why not? So I get to meet little old Benny. Little Benny. He, little Benny. He had three, three hairs on his chin. <laughs> a baby face. I don't even think you were shaving yet. Um but you had just started at the NRA, yep. and we drove you up to the Domain Shannon up in northern Quebec. And uh, what I remember, <laughs> like it was yesterday, was when you pulled out that cannon that you brought as a gun. <laughs> 35 I like, whaling. I feel like I it, like- was a, it was a single shot. Thompson Center break action, 35 whaling, with the shortest barrel you could possibly get, uh, built to wreck your shoulder. We, we we all figured out real quick that you had never done a bear hunt before, and maybe there was a little bit of a fear factor in your choice of gun. <laughs> so I was like, all right. But you know what? I think it turned out really well. You you took a good bear. I ended up killing my first bear with a bow on that trip, if you, you remember that. You did. And um, I'm happy to say it was the start of a few adventures we did together, and um a pretty cool friendship over the years. Um, me being the older one, I guess I took the, 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 the <laughs> that that drunk distant uncle, and, and, you're, and you're the nephew. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I always thought, I always thought because uh, you know Armando Venditosi always sounds so wonderfully Italian and wonderfully, uh, wonderfully Canadian and wonderfully Quebec that you know you would be my consigliere or at times. Uh, yeah. And your wonderful and, and, wife and your children, you know, often spent time with me and took me in as someone who didn't know anything about anything. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say, I'm happy to say for those that don't know, when you decided to leave um, the NRA, I believe at the time, and you were going to go to the media company. Yep. We sat and had dinner and talked about that. And uh, I gave you my opinion. And when you decided to go to Yeti, you called and we talked about that. And I gave you my opinion on that. And I'm happy to say that your life is working out real well. And that both of our um, 
our common understandings are, are working out for you. Yeah. Um, and both of those companies were very lucky to have you, in my opinion. And I'm not just saying that because you're my friend. You know, I don't I don't usually beat around the bush. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I'm really glad how that worked out for you. And uh, and you come a long way from that little <laughs> three three haired three chin haired uh, dude that I met in 2010. Well, 35 wailing and a smile. <laughs> That gun, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think the bear died from a heart attack. Yeah, I, I think, think when, he hit it. when he heard 35 whaling, I'm 20 <laughs> yards away. <laughs> what are you trying to do to me? Yeah, I, I had some learnings to do, as I still do. But, yeah, it definitely is, you know, when I remember when we met, we uh, connected on movie quotes and just, you know, sometimes when you meet somebody, you just know, right? You're like, ah, it's my guy. It's going to be my guy right here. And you're always been incredibly loyal and just a, a good person you've raised. I've known your children since I think they were, uh, I don't even know anymore, five, six, seven years old. <clears throat> Josh was uh, nine when you met him and Livy was two. Yeah, Livy would she not. Just, yeah, yeah, she would not go near me for a while. <laughs> I always like to say yeah. that she was maybe in love with me, but uh, yeah. probably just the two-year-old, uh, this this weird guy, always hanging around. Um, yeah, yeah. Livy, Livy's got Livy's got some uh, some character in her. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pre me even thinking about having kids, and now married with two kids. I I feel I feel where you were in life at that way back when. Isn't it awesome though? Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, we yeah. just to see the little things. Well, we you know the other day. I know you do a lot of waterfowl hunting and guiding these days. Um, the other day, I was at a, a buddy's house and we were we shot a few geese and it was it was no big hunt. It was cool enough that we were pretty close to his house, so the kids could watch us, you know, shooting geese as they passed over. And and my little little guy got to pluck a goose and chase the feathers around in the yard and you know, chop wings off with a hatchet and, you know, see and help me hang the goose up and see what a fully plucked goose looks like. And it just, I mean, those experiences to me, that would have been a really quick and easy thing to do. You know, it would have been no big deal, but to watch him experience that and then, you know, chasing feathers that are flying around in the wind and having the best time of his life. It, it, if that doesn't it ground you and, and level things off, uh, I don't know what will. So I know you were telling me that your kids are growing up and, you miss the days when you just had a little sidekick running around. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like Josh, well, you know, Josh has been following me around, um, since he was like six years old. I took him up on his first trip and he's at that age now where it's, uh, girls and, uh, girls. And I'd, I'd like to say something else, but it's just, it's girls. <laughs> uh, but he's a good kid. He's in college. He wants to be a policeman. Um, and Livy is in uh, high school now, and she she still comes along. She likes to turkey hunt with me. Um, you know, it's important. I think it all it, it's it's very important to get your kids out, let them try. They'll come around. You know, you, you can't force it on them. Like I see you with your kid. He's he's naturally in love with the outdoors, which is awesome. It's at some point it may it may um, stray from that, but. Ultimately, they'll come back to it, and, and you'll be happy you did it. And they grow up way too fast. I know that's the thing, man. I, I do. I I am a, in that little buddy phase with my my older son. He just is everywhere I go. He seems to just want to do everything I do. And I remember that with my dad. You know, you met my dad. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I I still feel kind of that way. If he was living around, if he was living around the, these parts, I would still kind of feel that way about hanging out with him. But 
but definitely uh, I'll miss this time when it's gone. And I know that now, you know, in the moment that I'll miss this time when, when whether it's football or um, anything, football, hunting, plucking a goose. Um, mm. He's excited for turkey season this year. We were in the store the other day, and he's like, buy a turkey call. Buy it. I said, son, I have a 1,000 turkey calls. <laughs> he said, one for me and you to use. I was like, all right, perfect. <laughs> yeah. I bought I bought a couple turkey calls, so he he felt like he had some ownership of something. So that's just cool. So, so just, just to give you a little quick uh, story about turkey calls, I tried forever to master uh, a diaphragm, a, a mouth call, and – all I could do was get like a, a gag sound coming out. You know, it just, it didn't work. Livy popped one in her mouth and within, I don't know, five seconds, she was, she was clucking away. And I was like, what in the hell? And <laughs> I, I don't know if it motivated me or it made me man up, but that's that night I ended up finally making some turkey sounds out of that, out of that diaphragm. But she puts it in her mouth and she'll look at me and she'll go, burr, burr, burr. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. that's uh, like, You just never know. You'd like, you like them to have that, like have this, this idea that they're going to be better than you. And there's, there's nothing you can do. Maybe mm. slow that down. You know, the teaching, oh, yeah. teach them for a while before they teach you. Uh, there's mm. so much. Yeah. It's just a good, it's such a, you know, when you have something that you love as much as we love at the outdoors, you know, we should probably tell people what you have done and what you do for a living. But uh, when you have have this love, you know, you like desperately want them to come along. It's never going to be perfect. Um, and I don't know if I'd want my kid to do exactly what I do because I started out just hunting with my dad and he was telling me the other day, he's like, oh, I didn't know anything. We started hunting, you know, I was just doing what I knew how to do. Um I don't know if I want my kid to have anything but that experience. You know, it's just a pretty normal hunting experience with his dad would be would be just fine with me. Nothing nothing too fancy. I agree. Nothing I agree. Fancy. Well, we should, you know, when I met you, you were you were doing a lot of bear guiding. You were doing, you know, like I said, Domain Shannon. Is that still around? That that spot's still yep. around? I still my my daughter and I, we go up every spring to walleye fish. I don't really do the bear hunts there. I haven't mm-hmm. in a while. Um, for no other reason, just that, you know, other opportunities presented themselves and, um, in time, you know, you, you make decisions and you go forward. The the, the owners are, are still dear friends of mine. And I, I mean, I don't miss, I don't miss an opening, an opening weekend for walleye fishing with Livy. Um, when I met you, I also, I had the bars back then. Yeah. I remember that. I remember thinking like, I remember thinking this guy's like, I was, last night I was up watching Goodfellas. I'm like, this guy's a good fella. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> this guy's like this guy is he is he owns a bar i remember you know you had like it's such a, a warm energy in quebec where we went you know and you had it walking in your bar everybody loves you you love everybody like it was just it just felt like this guy this guy is a good fella i think mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm i uh, understand not not quite but um yeah the bar life i'm you know what it did its time uh, it allowed me to to do a lot, and um, it was fun. Um, but you know, in life, you, like you did, you, you turn the page and you go forward with other things, right? That's right. That's right. Well, you know, over the years, you you know, guided for for bears up in uh, northern Quebec. You in Saskatchewan, you were telling me, uh, guiding for bears, and I know there's whitetail and waterfowl mm. opportunities over there. You, you've kind of branched out into some waterfowl there locally. 
uh, around where you are. Give people just a sort of rundown on how you came to hunting and um, just because I'll tell you this. And when I met you too, I remember thinking this guy is a hunting guy. Like he, you're, you like you got style, you got flash, you own a bar downtown. Like this guy is, this guy is not a, a rural hunting guy. Like you have, and now you're in real estate. Like you just have this air about you of someone that's cool and maybe even urban, if I would put it, that's probably a bad way to put it. But like you just, you just, it's, it's not something that I expected the, 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 the two sides of you. So give people like how you came to be in the outdoors and guiding folks. Well, I've, I've, believe it or not, I've, um, I've been fishing since I'm like three years old with my grandfather. Yeah. Um, in my family, be it my mom's side, my dad's side, uh, my wife, anybody in her side, I'm the only person who hunts. And I started hunting when I was oof, like 22 or 23 years old. Um, my friend or neighbor and his uncle, uh, his uncle, Tony, he invited me. He's like, you know, kid, you want to come? And I says, yeah, sure. Let's try. And uh, he took me deer hunting and uh, I seemed to enjoy it. It was okay. Um, he gave me my first gun and then uh, he took me out um, on a, on a bird hunt and that triggered something inside me. And, uh, I've been, I've been, you know, in love with waterfowl hunting ever since, um, the big game, you know, like everyone in my area, it's like you, you hunt deer, you hunt moose. I mean, I've done it. I worked at Safari Nordique, um, prior to meeting you, uh, that's a caribou operation. That's, uh, unfortunately the Quebec caribou, um, hunting no longer exists. Um, I worked there for two years uh, as a, in sales, which allowed me to meet so many people. We were running like 12, 1,300 clients through their season. Um, I met some fantastic people. I met, you know, the TV guys. I met Ralph. I met uh, the, Michael Waddell, uh, yeah. Jim Shockey. I mean, all the... All the big wigs. I met Rob Bob. <laughs> <laughs> we should clarify. Outdoor. It's Bob it's Rob. Bob Rob. Famous yeah, outdoor, outdoor right? Shout out to Bob. I haven't talked to him for a long time. What a wonderful yeah. dude. Um, but yeah. Actually, this- I, read, I read an article of his in the SCI magazine, uh, the last issue. I was giggling all by myself every time I see his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bob Rob. Uh, yeah, man. That, that's an interesting time in your life. One that I kind of met you at the tail end of. And one I was telling mm. you before we got on that I wanted to talk about. And if only if like I think to start to understand the culture of where you live, um, and, and kind of the way hunting was looked at back then. I mean, when we say back then; it's not that long ago. Um, back then, there was such an energy around caribou hunting in that side, and really the Rust Belt. Uh, really, people on the East Coast in the United States were were coming up in droves to hunt caribou um, in the northern Quebec herds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we. Um... Safari Nordique at the time was the biggest caribou operation in Quebec. Um, there were plenty of good ones, you know, like people would call. I mean, I was I was the director of sales at the time. Yep. And all this was when I had the bar. So that's what I mean when the bar allowed me to do a lot of things. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of free time. So I was able to, to build my, my sales, uh, I don't want to say, you know, technique, but that's the only way to say it, uh, to build my, my sales technique. Um, and we were running... Like those were the heydays, let's say 06, 07, 08, 09. We were averaging that, about 1,200 clients per um, per season. Uh, then I left the company in 09. And that's when, 
I mean, it's just coincidence. Like, 010, the numbers started dwindling. Yeah. 11, even less. And it just started getting progressively harder and harder. So far, Nordique went out of business. Um, a lot of the others went out of business. And I think the last time I was up there was right about five years ago, right? Like, just before they closed the, the, the hunt. They closed it for the biologists. You know, they claimed that the... Um, the herd took such a, a massive hit and a decline in, in numbers that they ultimately said it's due to hunting. So mm-hmm. we're going to close down the hunting. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not versed in the politics side of it. Obviously the world we live in, you know, that has something to do with it. So more than that, I don't know, but it was a fantastic industry here in Quebec that people came not just from the East Coast, like the West Coast, Mexico, from Europe. Yeah, I met, I met people from, we had guides working for us uh, from Australia. Um, Matt, uh, one of Jim Shockey's guides, he's, he was on, he, he used to work for Safari Nordic and that's where I met him. He was, you know, yep. people just wanted to, to live that experience. And, and I say it today, it's too bad that it's closed, but if you ever had the opportunity to go up into the Arctic and experience that, it's an experience like no other. I mean, we all say, yeah, the there's the, the Africas and the Argentinas and the, this, but there's something about that Arctic. I, I mean, I was yeah. fortunate enough to go up like five times and no, no, no time was uh, like nothing was ever duplicated. It was always something new, something. I mean, the last time I went up there, I had the, 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 the privilege of hosting Blake Sheldon Um and his group, and it was it was pretty awesome. But that aside, I got to go quad riding in the Arctic uh, through rivers, places that no one's ever walked before. And I was I was riding a quad, um, doing miles and miles and miles each day to go kill ptarmigan and like just something that every person should have tried to experience. Especially if you're a hunter, it's just it, it was magical. And yeah. the fact that that's over really really sucks. You yeah. know, there's no nice way to put it. It just sucks. Yeah, and there's, you know, we certainly could have biologists on that will talk about, you know, exactly why this all went down. But when, when you you certainly look at the, from the early 1970s through the 1990s and, and, and the early 2000s, you know, you were kind of, the, like you said, you're kind of there at the tail end of it, maybe mm-hmm. the precipice, and then, you know, as it started to fall down. But from the 70s to the 90s, you know, Quebec caribou were, were I mean, they were in a special place in the heart of American hunters. They really were. I mean, it was such a... It was accessible, um, it was affordable, and like you said, it was an adventure. Uh, it was it was an adventure. I never I never got to go do it myself, but I know my dad did, um, and I knew that you did, and I had you know seen the country uh, bear hunting with you, you know, further south obviously, but understanding the culture around it, and then even seeing, you know, the hotel. What was the the pit stop hotel that you guys had people fly, you know, come into when they flew oh, into the, town? The Hilton. The Hilton. Yeah, yeah the Hilton there uh, was just full of hunters. I mean, it was, just, it was a cool scene. It just felt like a pretty timeless thing. And then you, you know, two bull hunts for a lot of outfitters was like, you know, what I don't know what you guys charge, but like thirty five hundred bucks. Guys could drive across the border in Buffalo. They could drive across the border in Champaign. You know, Windsor. They could they could do something, you know, at least where I came from, that was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And they were, you know, in places like the, the Southwest, of the Kujuac, they would, in places called the Barrens, um, they could really see what you just described, which is a, 
a fly-in camp on a, on a lake in some of the most amazing country. Um, and it didn't feel all that far off, you know, which was important. Yeah, it was, it, it, it honestly was actually, uh, I, I just looked at, it was 2015, the last time I was up. So I think they closed it right at 2016. Yeah. That was when the, um, the hunt was over. Yeah. There's two there. So there's, I was just looking, there's two herds. There's a leaf river herd. Yeah. And then there was the George River herd, right? Exactly. Yeah. And they were, you know, it, it, which the George River herd had a shorter migration moving mm-hmm. along that Quebec-Labrador border. But, you know, at its height, maybe it was 800,000 animals in that herd. And to see even a quarter of that, half of that, a tenth of that uh, moving across the landscape, you know, must have been amazing. And now, you know, today, maybe it's five or six or 7,000 caribou. Um, so it's, it's just interesting to, again, I don't think we're, I'm not uh, in a position, nor I, don't, I think you are, to really go into the, you know, the population dynamics here, I'm sure predation, winter kill, global warming, overhunting, all of those things probably went into this. Um, but as much as I know about it, there's not, there's not a bunch of biologists saying it was one thing. Um, no, it was, it was, uh, it was, a, 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 um, a collective of a few different things. I know like the, Oh, oof, the Oh nine season, we started seeing a lot of sick caribou. A lot, a lot of them had that mange. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that that factors in, uh, you know, um, but like I said, I'm not a biologist. I I don't know what it is. All I know is, um, it, it really like closing that it really, really, really hurt, um, an industry that a lot of people had every dollar they had invested in, you know, um, I was president at the time of safari club chapter here in Montreal, and I remember when I got to um, to Reno, no, uh, in Vegas in 2016. I think you were there that, that year that, uh, that I met with you. Um, one of the outfitters from Quebec had left me a voicemail, and he's like, "I need you to come by my booth. I absolutely want to see you." And he was one of the oldest outfitters here. Um, and the man, like he, he, he literally broke down in tears. He's like, is there anything you guys could do? And and I told him, I go, listen, I go, it's it's not a, a legal matter, but when the biologists do their tests and there's, the, you know, you, you, our our argument doesn't hold water against the biologists. It's basically mm-hmm. what they say goes when it comes to the um, the well being of a species or a, or a, you know. So, uh, but to to see a man who for 50 years ran a top-notch operation and fed his family and gave jobs and brought money because it brought a lot of money to Kujuak, the hotels in Montreal, yeah. um, the restaurants. I mean, it, it just annihilated a, a very, very big industry. And it's yeah. it's too bad, I hope. Probably not, but I would love for one day for, for it to, even if it's open on a limited, you know, a limited yeah. matter, like a, a draw tag or whatever, but just for, for to give people the opportunity to go up and experience it would be pretty awesome. Yeah, I remember my friend Andrew McKean uh, went up there and, and reported on it for Outdoor Life and wrote a really good story. And I remember reading it, you know, this would have been like two years ago probably. And just, man, feeling really sad because they're, they're so having gone north, you know, to north in the northern parts of the Northwest Territories and the Mackenzie Mountains, these towns like Yellowknife and some other towns, once you get far reaching into the northern Canada um, and into the territories, they rely on these, they rely on this economy. I mean, it is their economy at some level. Um, 
if you go there, you you can see why there's not a lot of tourism opportunities. I mean, they're outposts, um, and they rely on this. But there was I just was looking at a a 2016 report, Quebec's provincial Department of Parks and Wildlife. They said recent document documentary analysis has cle- clearly revealed that the main threats to the long term survival of migratory caribou populations are over exploitation through hunting and poaching, the expansion of occupation of the territory, and the attendant industrial activities as well as climate change so basically all the things we listed um you know wolves certainly are 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 in there um they talk a lot about the fickle nature the yo-yo nature of population dynamics within caribou herds specifically migratory caribou herds in that report that i read a little bit um there's evidence of yo-yoing populations over the last 200 years um, and they respond to weather and predator numbers and so many other things. So maybe there is hope that that, that can get going again and hope that we've learned something from it. Um, we certainly learned to cherish it, I would imagine. I, I, you would agree? Oh, oh. <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> those were, honestly, buddy, those were some of my, some of the best days uh, ever spent up there. And you know what? I'm not going to lie. You know, People, every day people say, oh, you love your job, you love your job. I loved working at Safari Nordique. When I met people at the hotel, it allowed me to meet so many people. And like indirectly, it 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 led me to, to even become your friend. Because if yeah. I, I don't meet, I don't meet Rob Bob, I, I never meet you. You know what I mean? That's right. So on a, not just, not just the, the hunting factor of it, like everything about it was awesome. Um, and I... I if they would ever open up again and I had the opportunity to go work there again, I mean, I'd, I'd jump on it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it just felt like a moment in time that was important, um, mm. for hunting and for, you know, like, like I said, when I was with you at that hotel, it just felt like it just, I was like, man, this feels, this feels pretty special. This feels like yeah. something, this feels like a moment in hunting history that we'll all look back on and be like, man, it was cool to be up here. And, and I guess that's evidenced by all of the, you know, all the celebrities and, and big name folks that came through there, um, you know, and, and that I watched on TV and read about in magazines and, and that's no longer, um, you know, there's still migratory herds in Alaska that we can hunt. There's, there's a bunch of things that can happen, but it just felt like, you know, where you were at that time and what you were doing definitely uh, meant something, you know, oh, for a lot sure. of people. All right. Well, you know, moving on from that, I, I do... I kind of this has inspired me to kind of return to that at some point in in 2021 and and think about you know from a from a science and biology and ecology perspective what happened because what what a like what a case study that herd is both in its cyclical nature and its fickle nature and, and you know how accessible it was for hunters and what it meant to guys like you and the whole industry over time so uh it feels it feels do you feel like that crippled i mean that completely wiped out an industry did that cripple hunting in quebec in a way or you feel like it's still with waterfowl and bears and all the other things that are available still vibrant the bears the spring bears up until covid was still a very very big um industry for uh, americans to come up and hunt everything else like not really um the waterfowl maybe a little bit, but nothing like the caribou or the spring bear. Spring bear hunting is still very, very popular for um, for Americans to come up and do. Um, they usually like like you experienced that you combo it up with like walleye fishing and 
Um, yeah. People love to sightsee Montreal. Montreal is awesome. Um, so, you know, believe it or not, depending the groups I would book that came up in Mont- to, to bear hunt, I'd try and, and work them that they arrive the week of the Grand Prix, which is the busiest time in Montreal. And it's like, if you've never experienced big city life and the parties and this and that, so I'd get my hunters to fly in like on the Friday overnight friday saturday and then we'd tr- drive up uh sunday morning to camp and whatever condition we'd be in after <laughs> two nights of grand prix downtown but, <laughs> uh that industry i mean that we didn't have that yeah. this summer either and it, i mean like everyone else i'm not i'm not saying we're you know that we suffered more than anyone else everyone else suffered um but the tourism industry in in a whole um it's something that, that a lot of people live on, and uh, we all suffered in that, that caribou hunt. It hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and then you have the what, what COVID has done over time, and, and, you know, it's not a good – it's really something we, we did at First Light, our company First Light. We looked at how can we help outfitters, and and in time, you know, we, we donated a percentage of sales to some organizations, and – gave people discounts if they booked, you know, showed us that they booked with an outfitter this last year. So, I mean, there's such so many things we can do, um, especially when restrictions are lifted. You know how it is now. I mean, so many outfitters had to cancel hunts from last year than this year, and so they're they're way backlogged on, on folks that either had already paid, um, you know, and I was talking to a few outfitters up there, including Jim Shockey, who was telling me that, you know, they, the work doesn't stop. You can't stop maintaining and spending the money on the camps and spending the money on on all the infrastructure you need to get those clients up there. You can't just leave it alone. Well, um, and so you still have sunk cost with no income, no revenue. Um, so it's a tough time for that industry, your industry, really. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. In um, I hunted bear for the first time in like maybe five years this year because the outfitter that I deal with here in Quebec, we had no clients and... He still ran all 65 baits to keep it, just like you said. You mean, you got to keep it consistent and keep it going. And, you know, um, the owner called me up. He's like, you know, they they lifted the restrictions to travel. uh, Like for us, it was the island of Montreal was the hardest hit. So for a while there, they didn't encourage us to leave the island of Montreal. You know what I mean? Um, So -hmm. he's like, well, they lifted that restriction. Why don't you come up? So I went up and 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 I hunted bear. And I mean... The guy kept his morale and his attitude was was great, but he incurred the same amount of costs, minus perhaps uh, the food costs or um, some of the employee costs. But uh, the baiting, the gas, the the time, it you know you, you can't just stop. You got to keep it going. You got to upkeep your your blinds and you got to upkeep your trails. And um, so that that's what happened here and in Saskatchewan. Um, where I do most of my booking since 2010, um, like Claude's like, you know, I'm going to invest the money for the, the bird season. And if we don't have it, well, it'll be uh, an extra X amount of dollars in the red column. And same one for the deer season. Um, and, you know, we, we were blessed. Thank the Lord. I put together a couple of little meet and greets here in Montreal uh, when I mm-hmm. saw that the American clients, it wasn't going to happen. And I ended up booking like three weeks worth of waterfowl hunters, which was really good. Um, it kept us busy. And we ended up selling all 80 deer tags, even though we didn't have a single American client. We just, you know, we're, we're booked solid 2021. 
uh, with all the carryovers and three quarters of 2022 is already booked up as far as deer hunting goes. Uh, I will say this and it, and it shows, uh, I've always said, you know, like you go into a hunting camp and I think uh, you and I have, have said this, you and I could have never met and probably would have never crossed paths. You go into hunting camp and a lot of times you build a bond, you build friendships, you build relationships. I will say this, mm-hmm. uh, on those 80 clients that had given deposits, some had paid in full because a lot of the hunters, they pay in full at the end of their trip for the following year, you know. Uh, not a one called and said, yep. well, just send me back my money, uh, too bad, you know, we're canceling. Not one they all said, we want to do our part to keep you guys afloat, keep the deposit, just transfer us over to next year, which I found that very noble. Um, when, you, when, when you see people, like they know a lot of these businesses, if, if they lose that income one year, a year and a half, two years, they'll go out of business. Um, so I found that really, really cool. And I mean, we were blessed. We were blessed that we, we, still, we still sold 80 tags, um, to Quebecers, my, the owner of my Saskatchewan outfit is from Montreal. Um, so, you know, I gave a, an opportunity to 80 Quebecers who wouldn't normally have come yeah. uh, hunt out west because we are booked up with American clients every year. Gave them the opportunity to come and experience it. And it was it was still a pretty good season. We had a good time, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too. It's so For so many people, my dad included, I don't book as many outfitted hunts, but I'm sure, you know, I sure would love to have the time to do it you know that's such it's it's a, it's a loss there's like a sense of loss people look forward to those trips every year to come with you guys and to come up there and have those adventures um they look forward to getting out of town and and either loading up the truck driving across the border or flying in and bringing their their firearms and their bows and they look forward to that and so i think a lot of it's the relationship but some of it's also that you know covid took that away from them and they want to get it back as soon as possible you know next year i'm coming no matter what you know so i I've seen that, and of all the losses of COVID, you know, certainly every hunting outfitter I talk to has kind of said the same thing. I had a buddy in Kodiak that was telling me that he's taken out more local folks than ever. Um, it's kind of the same as you just said. So it's good mm-hmm. to see that that for, at some level, even though you still have that sunken cost and these have not been good times, it still you know marries up the fact that people really need these outlets. They really need these type of hunts that are out of town that are away from where they are and, and that are, that feel like adventure no matter what, yep. no matter what it, it it's, is. It was nice to see, you know, one of, one of my fellow guides in Saskatchewan, Nicholas, he had just purchased with his wife, uh, a fishing camp in Northern Saskatchewan. And, you know, it was going to be his first year of operation. He was all excited and COVID like beat the shit out of him. Right. He lost all his clients and there too, he was, you know, like his clients were cool. They they said, you know, we know you guys are new in business. Not a one asked for their money back, which it goes to say, I mean, I, you know, I'm Italian, like you said, I'm old school. I look at these things, loyalty and stuff like that. And I just, I find it really, really, really nice to see, especially like when you see all the bullshit in the world, uh, you know, it's nice to see people backing each other up like that. I, I like that, you know. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's when I first met you. I'm like, you know, this guy is, he's got every, all the characteristics of, of the Italians. You, got, you, you know, you're really stereotypical is what you are. <laughs> uh-huh. you, treat, you treat people with respect. You have loyalty. Like, you know, it, it just feels like that. That's, 
when you have that relationship and like you said, when you share hunting with somebody, it seems the easier to get along. <laughs> it just seems like easier because you have a shared value system. You kind of understand each other and yep. you like the same stuff. Um, that's a lot easier. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth we always talked about having you on and I, it's probably my fault more than anything for not having you come and just talk talk some shit and have a good time but you you sent me a message recently um with a pretty pretty impactful story i guess it, it's hard to describe it i wasn't there i don't know but i'm sure impactful is a good way to start with it um, something from a from a human perspective, from a guide perspective, from a hunting perspective, that you hope never happens. Um, and I, 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 you know, hesitate to to force you to talk a whole lot about it, but I, I know you want to share some stuff, and there was some learning. So, if you want to give people just kind of a rundown of what happened, and hopefully we can talk about it, and we can learn some things from from the story. Sure. Um, so. My, my, my main occupation, you know, I'm, I'm a real estate agent, but I've been a waterfowl guide now for like five years, and I've been a waterfowl hunter for, for 20 years. Uh, I've been blessed. I've, I've made some awesome relationships. I've have, I have some awesome mentors. Um, 
you know, here in Quebec, I got a guy like Roger Gladzu, who's like a legend here. He's he's taught me in his own way because his character is it's very special. Um, you know, I, Bill Safe. Uh, I could pick up a phone and I, I'll get a guy like like a guy like Tony Vandermore, who runs probably one of the biggest operations in the U.S. He'll take the time to give you advice or talk or whatever. Like it says a lot for me with some of the relationships I've built over the years. Um, and it also it also goes to show that a lot of us, especially waterfowlers, I mean we all do it. We 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 look at stuff in 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 a light way many a times, and we don't realize sometimes like the the dangers or the um, the risks that we take until things hit home. Um, when I first started hunting with with Bill Safe in New York, Bill does a a speech every morning with his clients and it doesn't matter if you've hunt- and I mean Benny you've been there you've heard this speech yeah it's uh, a, it, I I just had like a really warm nostalgic moment when you said that dude's <laughs> name so I haven't thought about him for a long time but what a wonderful guy man Jeez. yeah and I mean you the guy and he he's he's he grew me up you know he's known me since I'm a kid and it doesn't matter how, that he knows I guide he knows I do all this I hear that speech every morning if I hunt with him 5 days in a row I hear it 5 days in a row and we laugh, you know, like, ha, ha, uh, shoot a bird in the pocket. And if you fall off the boat, I mean, we all laugh about it. But at the end of the day, that, that speech hits home. And when I go waterfowl hunting here in Quebec, even though I'm wearing waders, and when I'm on the boat, I'm maybe one of the only guys, or if you're with me, one of the only guys that's wearing a life jacket in that boat. I see the other guys, they, they take an unnecessary risk. And when I guide for waterfowl in, in Saskatchewan, um, I take the 10 minutes every morning, even if it's the same guys five days in a row, and I go over the safety, uh, you know, don't shoot this way, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And you know what? Most people, I want to say, listen, a lot don't, a lot laugh about it. Um, and it's all fun and games until... Unfortunately, someone gets hurt or worse. Um, you know, I've taken guys, friends of mine hunting that maybe shouldn't have been in the blind, but because they're your friends, you say, well, whatever, you know, it's all good. And for the longest time, like my biggest fear or my biggest speech was, guys, whatever you do, don't shoot my dog because it's not, you know, it's not going to go over too well with me. Um, you know, that because we don't think further than that, right? So... I came back from uh, from guiding deers. I was I was away for five weeks in Saskatchewan. I was guiding deer hunters, and I was itching to go on a on a waterfowl hunt. And I, like I said, I'm blessed. I, I know a lot of really good guides here in Quebec. I don't guide in Quebec. I don't have the time or the um, or the resources to go and do it. I live in the city, um, so I just I book you know those eight ten hunts locally here, and and I go with my friends. These guys have become my friends. And this one particular morning, he called me up. He's like, dude, the snow geese are tight. You want to come in? And he knew I wanted to get my dog, Maverick. I wanted to try and get him up to 1,000 retrieves for the season. We're like right at 900. So I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, it'll be fine. If he could get 50, 60 retrieves, it'll be good. So I went, and I went alone, myself and the dog. And we were six guys that had never met each other. Um, actually I'm lying. Two of them said they, they knew me from a hunt last year when he mixed, like, you know, the guides, they mix up groups. If you're two and he has a group of three, they always try and be six, seven guys for it to be, to be worth the money to go out in the time. I mean, snow goose hunting here is, uh, 
you do a setup every morning and it could be like eight, nine, a thousand, uh, dec- a thousand full body decoys. So it's, you don't want to do it in two guys. You're, you're happy when you're eight, nine guys doing it. Um, great bunch of guys, you know, we all looked at each other and uh, we got in our blinds and because of COVID, we're actually four or five feet apart instead of being huddled one against the other, which is kind of cool. It's comfortable. And I started chit-chatting with the guy next to me, kind of Benny, like, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll know this saying. Like, at one point, I looked at him, and I'm like, did we just become best friends? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, the guy was super cool. We exchanged phone numbers and Facebook, and, you know, like, it just clicked. And, and, and it's really nice to see. Um, so Max, the guide, he does his speech, and it's funny because, it, you know, like... There's certain things that he says his speech in French, but if you translate him, it sounds exactly what I say in, in English or what Bill will say or what, you know. Um, but all of us, you know, like we stress safety. Guys, you know, do this, do this, do yeah. this, do this. And and uh, we, we sat down and we started getting ready to hunt. Um, so about a half hour in, uh, I look to my left and I see a couple of snows coming. And, like, we're six guys in the blind, and there's two geese coming into decoy. And even though it had been, like, five weeks, I hadn't shot my gun. I knew my dog had not retrieved in five weeks, so I kind of wanted to, you know, just worry about him and not worry about annihilating these two geese with six or seven of us shooting at him. So I turned to the guy, Dave, next to me, and I'm like, okay, dude, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to work the dog. I'm not even going to shoot on this. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. So when I guide in Saskatchewan, we're not allowed, we're not allowed to, to shoot with the clients. So force of habit, I, I, I get on my knees next to my dog and I hold his collar. Um, you know, and I mean, I don't want to sound like an asshole because there's always that one guy yeah. who will shoot a bird in the decoys or whatever. And if my dog is running around in there, like I said, I don't want anybody shooting my dog. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so I'm holding Maverick. And I'm watching these two birds. I'm watching these two birds and like, boom, 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 boom. The guns are going off and I'm hearing behind me, I'm hearing, ah, no, no. So I'm laughing. I go, look at these guys. I would have, you know, not because I'm better than anybody, but they were just, they were to my right. I would have got up and it would have been boom, boom, and it would have been finished. I go, seven guys, only one bird fell. So I open the door and I, I send my dog, right? During all this shooting, I had felt like a bit of commotion behind me. I didn't really pay much attention to it because you know, force of habit, I, you know, during the waterfall season, I do this every day. As I stand up, I turn around and um, you do like, I did like a double take, you know, I looked and then I looked again and I, I didn't see Dave, I didn't see him, he, he wasn't next to me anymore, but I did see the third guy and the third guy is like sitting on his keister and he's staring at me with this look of horror and I'm like, what the... I mean, I don't know if I could swear on here, but anyway. Please. I said, like, what the fuck just happened? I turn around and I see Dave is laying flat on his face. And like, I, I, I froze for a split second and I jumped up and I, I'm, I'm screamed to the guide. I'm like, dude, call 911. This is not good. He gets up as he's dialing 911. He's running out of the field. He goes, I'm going to get my truck. I'm going to get my truck. I jump down. I call 911 on my phone and I, and, um, Another one of the guys comes over and I says, dude, hold my phone. 
And I'm trying to, I'm trying to see, like, did he just get hit in the head or whatever? And the, the, the gentleman next to me, and he's like, I fell, I fell. My gun went off. My gun went off. I fell. And, and I guess in, in, in the moment, you're trying to understand what this guy's saying, but at the same time, I was trying to look at what's wrong with Dave. Um, because, you know, this is not something you expect to happen. Anyway. Um, I look on the back of Dave's jacket. I don't see any blood anywhere. And um, I'm like, maybe he got hit in the head. I mean, I, I had my back to all of this because I was on, on my knees, you know, um, handling my dog. 911 comes on. I start talking with, and, and when you call 911, I guess it's an operator at first for us here in Quebec. And uh, so I'm like, dude, I go, I, I'm trying to feel for a pulse. I can't feel for a pulse. There's no blood. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And he's like, is this a, a hunting accident? And I'm say, yeah. He goes, okay, because the the other guide was on the phone. I guess they were the two dispatchers were one, one next to each other, so that he was aware of what was going on. So he transferred me over to a paramedic. Um. So Dave is lying next to me on his on his stomach. I'm trying to feel for a pulse. I don't feel for a pulse. And um, there's there's no blood. It's not like in the movies. And he's not but talking it, or moving at all no, at this point. Like he's no. just totally lifeless. Right. And on the back of his jacket, I, I see three holes. But again, we all watch movies, and you know the, the blood spraying everywhere. There, there's none of that. So I'm still hopeful that he just got hit in the head with the barrel of a gun when this, this other gentleman fell. Right. Um, I mean, Benny. You knew me when I was fat. I was I was a bigger guy then. Um, so just to, just to point in you know in adrenaline, uh, this guy Dave was bigger than I was, and I was on my knees, and I don't know how I did it, but I, I lifted him up, and I just turned him over onto his back. At which point I saw that, you know, like he had it, like a big blob of coagulated blood in his, in his nose, and his tongue was sticking out, and. The, the, the nurse is trying to walk me through this. So, I mean, I clean out his nose. I go, this poor bastard has any chance to, to fucking breathe. He's not going to breathe with his nose jammed up. Like this. So I cleaned out his nose and I try and put his tongue back in his mouth. And I start, I start doing uh, CPR on him. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, my hat's off to that paramedic. She, she stayed on the phone with me and like she was counting and I was counting. And um, I don't know how long this went on for maybe 10 minutes and all the while I would, you know, I would do three sessions and check for a pulse, three sessions and check for a pulse and three sessions. Anyway, um, when the cops, the cops finally arrived, they, uh, they, 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 they took over. It's, you know, that part, they, they don't let you stay around and, and assist them. They, they grab you and they move you out of the way. Yeah. Um, then the, you know, the paramedics showed up and they, they tied him up to a defibrillator and they tried to revive him. But at that point, just like I had, I had seen when, when I first took his pulse, he, he wasn't breathing. Um, but my, my, my actions, uh, I was told after the fact by, by all the police officers and the paramedics um, and even the investigators after the fact, my, my 10 minutes of pumping on his chest had at least given him a fighting chance to maybe be defibrillated, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, did did you feel? I mean, when you flipped him over, did you see like was there trauma on his chest? Is that where 
the the shot went through? Was it all in his face or the shot from how I from how I, I was explained when the, the guy so after the fact, just just I'll go forward and then I'll go back just to give you an idea. After sure. the fact, after CSI, we'll call them CSI because they were there the whole fucking day and uh, they, they, they barred us from getting our stuff. His gun, believe it or not, even though they had investigated, his gun still had a fucking shell in it. So he had gotten two shots off. And what I think happened is the guy next to him either, and I, like I said, I didn't see it, so I'm going to assume... Either as he was standing up, had his safety off, and when he fell back, had his finger on the trigger and shot, or as he shot, he lost his footing, and he shot him like right straight under his shoulder blade, and at that distance, the reason there was no blood is, I mean, he took the whole blunt of the shot, the wad, everything went in, and basically almost like sealed the hole as it went in, that's why there was no blood. Um, and I guess like, uh, when you, when you, when you lung shot a deer or whatever, and you find him, the, 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 all the blood is sticking out of his nose and his tongue is dangling out. Well, that's exactly what it looked like. Hmm. Um, hmm. and, uh, yeah. So yeah. that poor man, that poor man, he kept, you know, while I was doing the, the, uh, the CPR, he kept, you know, is he alive? Is he alive? And I like, it was just that. He's an older man, you know. I don't want this fucking guy to get. He's gonna have a heart attack and and, and die. And and you see, he's in like he's in shock. He's, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not better than anybody else, bud. But we were seven guys there, and I was the only guy that that was on him. You know, um, that that everyone else yeah. was handling it the way you handle yourself during during trauma. But like I said, I mean, I, you, you you know, in life you got to man up. You do. You do man shit when it's time to be a man, and, and, and I've always I've always lived my life like that. I'm not gonna let, you know, my fears or whatever, or my disgustedness of COVID or worried about getting a little blood stop me from helping somebody. Never, 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 never. It'll never happen. I just assume not be alive if I have to live my life that way. Um, so that poor man, when when the, the cops came, he just he collapsed, and they they rushed him to the hospital too. You know. Uh, I mean, man, this this poor guy, so... he's dead, but th this other guy, is, his life is, is never going to be the same. Accident, it, it was a 100% accident. I mean, like the cops, they they bring you in and, you know, it's they, they do their, their whole spiel. They got a, they got a job to do, and I, I caught two really good cops, and I kept, I kept my composure for, for most of the interview, but at one point, you know, I guess it affected me as well, right? Uh, my friends that hunt with me, like... When you hunted with me, you sat next to me, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah. up until I called my friend Sergio, who up until 10 o'clock the evening before canceled on me, um, Sergio usually is the one who stands right next to me, and, and, and I'm like, fuck, this could have been you, or it could have been Josh, could have been my son. Yeah. How the fuck do I call, how do I call your wife and tell her, this happened because I invited your husband on a hunt. You know what I mean? Well, going back to what you were saying about how to act in this, I don't think anybody really knows how they're going to respond in something right. like this. Right. But I would want you there if I could pick. You know, <laughs> if I had if I had a, a top five, I would uh, you'd be in there. So I mean, I think that guy was lucky to have have you there, even though he didn't make it um, on that level. But I guess the other 
the other point is like that is i mean it 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 makes me stop and pause because we talk we've talked on this show and we've talked within our company about uh wilderness medicine we just Mm. did a book about survival right we did a Mm. book about how to survive in in you know far-flung places or in and when you're alone but we rarely talk about and this happens in other types of, of bird hunting as well. Upland hunting, as you well know, this is a thing. You know, you're walking in line with a bunch of guys with shotguns. Um, here, you're in close quarters with a bunch of shotguns and a bunch of uh, individuals you don't know. And there's a certain level of trust. Accidents happen, but boy, this is man, this is that's tough. Even without n- ever meeting Dave or or knowing him, it's tough for me to hear, man, as a hunter, knowing this is a, this this could happen. Um, it happens yeah. more than we'd like it to. It 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 does, and you know, um, my friend who who was the guide. It's funny how people, you know, some people just any excuse to to shit on you or whatever. Since then, I haven't really heard much buzz, but like on some of our our local social media pages or whatever. You know, you'll hear, you always hear that that stupid comment. Well, it's the guide, and it, this guide is absolutely, probably, if not in my opinion, the best waterfowl guide in Quebec. And yeah. security-wise, he does everything by the book. I try and 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 be the same way when I'm in Saskatchewan. Bill does it when he is there. Claudio will do it in Alberta. Uh, an accident happens, man. Unfortunately, we're we're involved in a sport or an activity where our accidents don't forgive. Um, That evening, when I got home and I called Claude, my boss in Saskatchewan, he was still he was still in camp. I needed I needed to talk to him about a couple of things, and and, you know I wanted to bring him up to speed because for sure someone was going to call and tell him that I was there and involved. I made a point to tell him. I'm like, you know what, dude. I don't care how much money they pay next year. I truly don't. And if you're my my client and you're hearing this, I'm sorry. I don't care how much money you pay. If you don't have the the, the head or the intelligence or the decency to listen and to try and be safe when you're in a blind with three, four, five other people, yourself, it could be your family member, then you know what? Get back in your car. Go wait for me in the car, and we'll refund your money if you want to go home. But there ain't no mallard. As much as I love killing mallards, there ain't no mallard worth my life or my dog or yours or anybody else's for that matter. Yeah. Um, and it, and, it, and it, it's unfortunate to take something like this to open your eyes uh, as to, uh, on to, to you know to being secure and being safe. I went on my my. After the fact, I told my wife I wasn't going to go hunting anymore. And I mean, you know Rosa, she's as tough as they come as far as wives go. She backs me up in everything I want to do. And uh, so she was relieved. Like, she wasn't, she was scared when I called her that day. And like everyone else, she thought something happened to Maverick. And when I told her, no, unfortunately, some other guy paid the price for an accident. Like, she was in panic. Um, I got invited on a hunt and I, and I ended up going with another another guide and it was with some guys that I hunted with before so it put me a little bit it made, it made my getting back into it a little bit easier right because I know the guy next to me is is very uh, very aware of his surroundings and doesn't take um, needless uh, needless chances and then like last week 
was the first time I went back on a hunt in one of those A-frame style blinds, like where that accident happened. Yeah. And the guy who invited me knew, and he forced me to go. He goes, you need to get back on track and back. So he sat next to me and he, he put his hand on my shoulder and he goes, like, he goes, you know, he goes, I know, I know we're all big tough guys, but I'm here if, if there's anything. And I'm like, no, no, this will be okay. And, you know, that you could be as tough as you want, but <laughs> that, that transition to get back into it, it's important that you do it. Yeah. If you want to keep doing it, but it's important you do it with the right people. And, uh, you know, like, fuck, life is short and it could be taken at any time. And uh, as waterfowlers, as hunters, as uh, small game hunters, deer hunters, I've heard stories of guys shooting because uh, they saw a bush move. Like, Jesus Christ, is, is that deer worth having that on your conscience forever, you know? Yeah. Well, there's certain types of these accidents that we focus on, whether it's just because of frequency or, mm. you know, you, you talk about places like Wisconsin and Michigan. There's always a handful of people that, that die in hunting accidents, uh, you know, in the opening day of rifle season. Like th this is a, it happens. I don't have numbers in my head. I don't have a list of statistics here, but it happens. We hear about it. We know it, especially here at this company. We, we, we try to address it when we can. Um, but this, I, you know, when you told me about this, I have always said to folks around me, I'm always more worried about safety in a duck blind. I don't think duck blind was at the top, but I think in an upland situation was always my top worry when you're walking around and birds could flush any direction and people might not know you're there. Even if you're wearing orange, even if you're communicating when you're walking in a line with someone and there's so much unknown, you really have to trust that person beside you. Um, you know, to be as, as sound as they can. Um, it's waterfowl season in many, many places here. Like I said, we were just out, you know, hunting geese and doing things. And this, this when you told me this, it just made me think that the my life, my son's life, these things, I could not imagine being on either end of this, obviously. Um, and even your end of it, what it would, would make you think about what, you know, what's worth. And and strangely enough, as you as you mentioned there, man, like in a time of COVID, it kind of makes you think about, because we're all thinking about death a little more than we used to. There's a ticker on the news that says how many people are dying of a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so we're all kind of thinking about our immortality a little bit than, a little more than normal. When something like this happens, I'm sure that that's unavoidable, you know, it has to be. Uh, and it's just, what do you do next? You know, how can you prevent this from happening again and be an agent of change to make sure maybe you do save someone's life just by giving a speech and being really serious about it next time. Maybe, maybe someone's life is saved. Maybe not, but um, you certainly, you certainly have a chance. Well, I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I believe, you know, when it's your time, it's your time. Uh, that's like, <laughs> that's I had to tell my wife. So she, <laughs> she'd leave me alone when I wanted to go back out. Um, this is, you know, I could leave the house today and get hit by a car. And it's your time. It's your time. But having said that, we need to put a lot more emphasis on on being safe. Usually in those A-frames, it's usually way safer than when we, when we hunt in coffins, um, layout blinds. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, it happened uh, I hope to God it never happens to anybody ever again. Will it? Probably, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, if you you got to try and put 
as 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 much on your side as possible by by making people aware. You take your safety when you're standing up. You know, make sure your footing is sure. Uh, if you've never shot a gun with a three and a half inch magnum before and don't know what kind of recoil you're gonna get, that I've seen it put guys back on their on their asses after they shoot. You know, um, all, all of these factors help. Is it foolproof? Hundred percent? No, it's not. It, it, it'll you know it'll never be. But I know that for myself and for a lot of the guys around me. Um, I'm taking this very, very tragic uh, event and, and gonna, I'm going to turn it as positive as I can, um, yeah. as, especially when I'm, I'm with clients. And, you know, the, the, yeah. believe me, I'd rather they be angry with me for yelling at them for clicking their safety off than, Lord forbid, shooting the guy, or, you know what I mean? Or hurting yeah. her. I'd much rather they be angry with me than, than have to live with that, you know? Yeah, there's nothing worth that too. And when you think, when I think it over my waterfowl hunting experience, I've been in in pit blinds on the edge of marshes that in in the in January or December where everything's frozen, the metal rails are frozen. You have waders on that you just jumped in the water to go pull some some decoys. They get slippery. You have to lean your gun up against a metal rack, and if it doesn't have something, uh, something that holds your gun. It can slide one way or the other. You know, trigger control is, is essential. I've shot, I've been in, uh, you know, roving boat blinds, hunting sea ducks in, in, on the edge of the Potomac River. Um, I've been in layout blinds in the middle of a channel in Maine where I'm floating there by myself. Uh, so I start to, like, replay all of those scenarios, and each of them has their, its own um, cautionary tale in terms of what might happen if you don't understand trigger control and you don't understand when that safety has to be on. And even beyond that, you're putting yourself in a, in a, in a relatively dangerous situation. Um, and it's just good to recognize that. I think if people can hear your story and just recognize, yes, we don't want to think about the danger in these situations. We want to have a good time, but man, like some level of awareness, you know, some intense level of awareness of what is actually happening there, even though it's fun and exciting and intense is so important. It's, it's, you know, and never let that social pressure of being, like you said, yelling at your clients or being the dickhead in the blind, never let that social pressure stop you from, um, speaking up or, or acting the way that you feel is the safest. Uh, look, there's, there's a guide that guides with, uh, that guides here in Quebec. His name is Dimitri and he, he hunts with me a lot, all the time. And when he used to see, uh, me and Steve with our, our life jackets on in the morning and I used to tell him, Dimitri, you should wear a life jacket. And he goes, eh. finally, after all of this, last season, he started wearing his life jacket. Even when we, when we get off the big boat and go on to the little boat. And one morning this year, he looked at me and he was like, you know what, bro? He goes, I'm so glad I listened to you. I go, why? He goes, because I zigged when I should have zagged with the boat the other day. And uh, the boat flipped over and uh, it was a part of the, the, the marsh that was a little too deep. And that life jacket just kept me afloat enough to to do to to wade those 10 feet to get to where i could have got out he goes and all i thought of was you i'm like well i, go, I don't know bro <laughs> you gotta you're on a boat i mean i swim very well <laughs> but not with not with waders and uh, 20 pounds of ammo in my pockets I, mean, I don't swim i don't know anybody that could swim well in that situation you know what i mean yeah yeah there's so much so you just like you can review all that in your mind but i mean i, I appreciate you sharing it i understand that 
you know, I don't want to make light of anything that happened there. We want to just kind of tell the story, let people learn from it. Um, like you said, accidents happen in two people's mm-hmm. lives, and at some level, your life is be changed for a long time. And uh, it's just that's unfortunate. But it's you know, I appreciate you sharing it because I do think people can learn something from it. And as we talked about in the very beginning, I'm teaching a young boy to understand the outdoors and, um, you know, stories like this are key to helping him and me understand that process. Um, you know, and when to have heightened sense and when to relax and, um, man, that's a tough, that's a tough equation, but this, this is helpful. Yeah, no, so for if, sure. If, tr- I mean, if, if I could tell people or anybody like, you know, guides i mean all of us we have that that attitude like uh take off of the boat in the middle of the night no lights on and ah don't worry and we're good (laughs) yeah it takes a little thing buddy to bring you to bring reality back into perspective and uh yeah you know like i said i'm I'm not perfect far from it i i i've i'm sure i've done things that if i if i really sit down and analyze it or like "Mm, maybe that was iffy i shouldn't have i shouldn't have took that shot or i shouldn't have spun around in the blind and shot him back or you know what i mean but we got to try and control the controllable to some degree and i think um like footing or how you control your gun or hold your gun that's controllable stuff you know yeah when you load your gun is a big one too you know when you keep your action open you know when it's closed uh, whether it's in battery or not, like understanding those little little moments in in hunting can be can be a life or death thing in the end of the day. So mm-hmm. the the pressure should be on us to do it right and to understand that we need to hold others to account at some level, right? It's hard to be like you said. The social pressure is real. You don't want to be the dude, you know, telling your friends to quit this and quit that, and you know that's a hard thing to do sometimes. And I recognize that. So um, when it's your friends, when it's your friends, it's the hardest. It's the hardest, man. It really is. And that's, you know, that's, and, and you know what? That's when something is going to go wrong when it's your friends. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is good, man. Well, I appreciate it. I, I definitely, we were talking about the other day. I definitely want to make it up to Saskatchewan. Uh, man, I'd love to make it back to Quebec and, uh, and hunt bears. Either way, um, where can people find your, your guiding and, and what do you want to tell them about that part of it? Well, listen, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on social media, Armando Venditosi on, uh, on Facebook or uh, Safari Dude on Instagram. Um, my, the outfit I guide for is called Great Grey Outfitter um, or Western Trophy. They both link to each other. Uh, Benny, you know you're for sure coming up this year as soon as they open those borders. That's right. Um, we've, we, it's been five years that we haven't hunted together and we're due. We're due. Uh, we're due. We're due for a, a good heart to heart. The last one we had was in Vegas on those awesome chairs when you worked at Yeti. Remember those chairs? <laughs> those, <laughs> those chairs were the bomb. <laughs> we're just like I just you know you go through like trade show season and that the, those chairs could save a man's life. Rosa, yeah, I, Rosa really wanted those chairs. She really <laughs> wanted them. <laughs> I don't get as many free chairs as I used to. Yeah, it's <laughs> all good. But yeah, man, I, you know, hopefully we can. I record all my hard hearts now, so hopefully we can get get together in a, in camp. And man, I would love to see your family again and spend some time up there, man. I, I like I said, I'm grateful that you came on, and it's been too long. And um, man, best to your family and to, to those involved in that tragedy. Tragedy. I wish you weren't here to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't kind of the ending, but um, just anybody out there, if you wanna 
you know, go with a, a, a wonderful person who values the outdoors the way that I do and you all do. This this guy right here we're talking to is is one of the tops uh, in the uh, in the outdoors or just in the, in Canada. <laughs> it doesn't matter where. Uh, he can speak French to you. He can quote uh, Step Brothers to you. He can do anything you need. Uh, <laughs> Armando. <laughs> All right, Armando, man. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. I really, I really thank you for coming on and telling stories. Bro, this was awesome. You know, uh, for, for those that want to know more about Benny and before he had hair on his chest, you can look me up. I'll be glad to, to share some stories. <laughs> Uh, no, seriously, but thank you. That's a dangerous proposition. I'm so happy for you and, and how far you've come in, in this life. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to have been a part of it. And I look forward to many more adventures together, buddy. Hopefully I get drawn to come to, to Montana and kill an elk this year with you. Uh, but you're for sure coming to Quebec. So you uh, to either Quebec or likely Saskatchewan. We'll have some fun there. Uh, I want you to meet Claude and uh, we'll kill birds and go catch some fish and we'll have a good time. Uh, and uh till then god bless you buddy uh give my best to the wife and the kids and uh we'll talk again soon yeah right back at you man see you later ciao ciao that's it that's all another episode in the books thank you to armando vendatozzi for sharing uh, himself a little bit and also his story his tragedy from the duck blind. Uh, it's uh, as I said before. We heard it. Um, it was uncomfortable. It was, but it was important. Um, and I'm I'm sad for the family of the man who who died, and I'm sad for everyone involved. Uh, but we can all learn from it. So let's just do that. And um, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be really putting some nails in the Phil's first hunt. We're going to like figure out exactly what it's going to be. We're going to set some dates and we're going to stick to it, Phil. We're not going to let we're not going to let all the uh, pressures in our life of family and job get in the way of your first hunting adventure. So, um, you ready? I am ready. See that? All right. Well, I'll expect a to next week on the show, I'll expect to be playing some sort of voicemail from Eric Hall uh, encouraging this and uh, giving us ideas. We're going to need you, Eric Hall, anybody else in the cult that we Alec Acock, anybody listening, really, um, Mike Peterson, all of our beloved, beloved THC members, please help us out here. Um, well, before we get to the end of the show, I um, I have a new favorite song, Phil. You've heard it. I have, yeah. Christopher Peters wrote in um, that he's a long-time listener, first-time writer. I just wanted to share with you this song as I thought you may enjoy the subject matter. The song is called White Claw Wasted, and it's by one of my favorite artists named Kayla Ray. The song, he linked it below. He also said, uh, for, for Phil, I didn't start hunting until I was an adult. I was 21, nine years ago. I think you're going to enjoy it, and I can't wait to hear about your first hunt. Thanks for a consistently great show, Chris Peters. Thanks, Chris. Uh, White Claw Wasted. I listened to it. Phil, you listened to it. I got it. I have an idea. I don't, I'm sure Kay LeRae does not listen to this show. I am sure of it. Uh, I'm surprised that anyone does. But Kayla, if you're listening, I'm going to send you all kinds of messages on every platform. Me and Phil very much want you to sing the new theme song, the 2021 theme song for the Hunting Collective for THC. We we want you to we want to write an original song and have you sing it. Uh, it would be glorious. 
all you listeners could could get involved in this. I, I needed to be Kayla Ray. So we we're we're, we're going to respect her and wait for her to to jump on board with this idea. But Phil's going to play for you a little bit of White Claw Wasted on the way out um, of this episode. So I guess we'll see you next week for episode 161. Enjoy a little bit of White Claw Wasted because you can't judge a man by the size of his can, Phil. You really can't. Say bye. Goodbye. These are going to get White Claw Wasted. It's a hard seltzer night, but he can just taste it. Can't judge the heart on a white claw man by the size of his can. He knows all the Black Hawk's greatest hits. He likes the girls when they're working for just the tips. He gives them what he can. Cause he's a white claw man. He don't overcompensate with no toll. All boys holding hands with his cane Say he's a white claw man And he's gonna get white claw wasted It's a hard seltzer night But he can just taste it You can't judge the heart on a white claw man By the size of his cane Claws gone by, but he'll do it again. He's a white claw man, and he's gonna get white claw wasted. It's a hard seltzer night, but he can just taste it. Don't judge a heart on a white claw man by the size of his can. Say you can't judge the heart on a white claw man by the size of his can. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.